Sometimes faith can feel as cold as winter, and it can look as dark as winter too. I grew up in the cold in Wisconsin, so I understand being physically cold. But I also understand being spiritually cold, feeling distant from God because of depression, because of sickness, because of friends dying. I feel distance from God often, and I used to fight those feelings, but now I embrace them, and I sit with them. Winter Faith has become my new home. So I created the Winter Faith Podcast because sometimes faith feels like winter. Secrets kill our life. They can kill our spiritual life. They can kill our marriage, our parenting, our career. And so we don't want to be people that keep secrets. We want to be people that are vulnerable, that are honest, that are open. Guys, today's guest knows what it's like to keep secrets. His name is Nate Larkin. He battled a lot of addiction and pornography. And then he started a authentic men's group called the Samson Society. And guys, I just want us to acknowledge that secrets are no good and we need to bring things like sin to light. If we bring it into light, we have a chance to defeat it because darkness cannot be in the light. And that's what today's episode is all about. You're going to learn about Nate, you're going to learn about his story, and hopefully you get a good conversation about what it means to have recovery, and what it means to be authentic, and to have openness and honest uh, honest talk with other uh, people, trustworthy people in your life. I hope you enjoy this episode. Check him out. Samson and the Pirate Monks is his book, and samsonsociety.com is his website. Today's guest is Nate Larkin. Welcome to the Winter Faith Podcast. Like, to me, like, recovery and um, addiction, like, you you have to replace it with something. Yeah. And I always, I think this is maybe your experience, I always was, like, terrified going to these 12-step meetings at first. Sure. And I just thought, like, a failure and shame Mm -hmm. and, like, oh, my goodness, this is where I ended up. And, you know, I went to seminary and I'm going to these meetings at the same time am I living like a, like a double life? But it's like, when I started going to those meetings is when I, that's when I wasn't living a double life. Um, That's when I was starting to like live a full congruent Christian walk that acknowledged that I needed help, that I needed community. And that's when I really started, I guess, 2000, um, maybe like 2014 is when I really got committed but I had started going to a meeting in like 2010. And yeah. I just, I just think that's so like, that's how it really works. It's like, yeah, for four years, I thought about it. Right. And then I, then I finally 
did something about. Maybe not everybody does that, but that was my experience. And oh, sure, yeah. it took it took me a couple of years to emotionally join the group. You know, make the decision. Until then, I was there as a research project or as a missionary. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's true. But yeah. then I I started to really love life a lot more, mm-hmm. and I I felt myself even like loving things of my past more. Like, hey, I'm gonna go watch this movie that I remember from like when I was a kid and I like really yeah. enjoy it for like a totally different perspective. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, just, it, it really added so much joy to my life to because we always replace addiction and recovery with, with, or we always replace it with something. Yeah. And, um, and I know I've heard that on, on your podcast and how, you know, for some people it's going to the gym a lot for some people it's eating a lot i mean whatever (laughs) you know whatever it is we do something with that time sure sure yeah that that addiction developed as you know it's a maladaptive coping mechanism we didn't know how to deal with the realities of life with the stresses and strains and pains and you know agonies and sadnesses of everyday living and so we were presented at some point along the line with something that seemed to medicate that pain away it was extremely attractive. I, I'm no longer ashamed of the choice I made. It was a, at the time, it seemed to make sense. Um, but now I've got to learn how to f- face life on life's terms. Right. And, and, and uh, what I'm so grateful for in my 12-step experience and now in my ongoing experience with the Samson Society is I feel like, you know, growing up in church, I got a lot of teaching I got a lot of preaching, I got a lot of instruction, but I didn't get much in the way of coaching or just day-to-day, hour-to-hour companionship, somebody to freaking walk with me and help right. me process life uh, in real time. Uh, and that's what I found in this you know, fellowship of broken people. Where it, and it's, you're right, it's such a huge relief not to have to hide my shadow anymore not to have to always put on a bright face and pretend that things are better than they are, spin things, just, you know, just to, to live in the world of what is, to be able to, uh, to face and where appropriate, communicate exactly what I'm feeling and where I am and what I'm doing and what I've done in real time. Man, that just takes so much pressure off, doesn't it? Yeah. And we've kind of already... I guess started, but um, I was kind of wondering like how, how you started the Samson Society and what it is for, for people that don't know. Yeah. Well, the Samson Society is, uh, we call it a mutual aid society for Christian men. It's a pretty much a recovery community that isn't sin specific. So we don't, uh, we don't uh, segregate by sin in the Samson Society. I came to this way of life through 12-step recovery for sex addiction. So my favorite medication, uh, the one that I found in adolescence when life was pretty chaotic for me and where I was very insecure and uh, fearful was uh, was sex, Uh, sex with self to begin with, and then with the aid of pornography. Uh, But that progressed in my adult years into uh, stepping outside the bounds of my marriage for doing dangerous sexual things. 
so that's my story. But we do have guys in the Samson Society whose you know, primary medication turned out to be something else. Mm-hmm. But what we do know is that all of us addicts kind of share an inner architecture. And if we are willing to be honest with one another, if we're willing to trust that uh, Jesus actually uh, was, was uh, he made a promise that even after his departure from this earth, the end of his physical ministry on this planet, he said that he would still be with us. Mm-hmm. That, you know, the comfort would be sent. He'd, if we were gathered in his name, he'd be there. So um, we've come to believe, and we've just seen it demonstrated over and over again, you know, day after day, week after week, that when we are together and we bring our real selves, not some manufactured persona intended to win approval and avoid uh, criticism, but if we bring our real selves, trusting that, God just loves us, and he never is, you know, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and one thing that strikes me about Jesus, that picture that we see of him portrayed in the Gospels, is that he was always unfailingly kind to the broken, even the sexually broken. Now, the Pharisees were all, always met them with, with censure and judgment and wanted to push them away, and Jesus was never, ever like that. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is really how God thinks of you. If we can trust that, so we bring our real broken selves into relationship, that uh, somehow in some mysterious way, Jesus shows up. Mm-hmm. And over time, as we walk together and have honest conversation, confess our sins one to another on a daily basis, mm. uh, expand our definition of sin so that it isn't so that we what a lot of us have done for a long time is we've deluded ourselves to thinking that if we can just conquer one specific behavior then we're not we're not sinning anymore we're not broken anymore we don't need god's grace or god's love anymore and we can give ourselves a pass and now we can become pharisees which is kind of our deep ambition Hmm. if we can uh, if we can give that up and accept the fact that until the day we die, we've got some, you know, we've crossed the line somewhere. We've sinned against love somewhere. That was Jesus' whole point in the, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that there is this sweet fellowship. Right. Now we start to walk, we start to experience life in the way that God has designed us to live. We as Christians believe that God himself is relational that, you know, that there's this Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that's a weird thing, and that they're in constant communion with one another, Mm -hmm. and that he created us to be in relationship with him and with each other. That's really where life is, in connection. We begin to experience life that way. You know, I had a lot of friends and admirers uh, and fans in my years of active addiction because I was a good performer and I was bright and shiny and I was never caught, never exposed and never publicly shamed for my sexual sinning. But all of that connection was false and and the affirmation really never meant anything because I knew they didn't see the real me. The connection was in a way frightening and I lived daily with the fear that I would be found out. And I knew that if people saw the real me, they would reject me. 
And I really believed at some level that God would do the same. And so I was always in this secret, desperate, uh, uh, you know, ongoing project to make myself acceptable. And, you know, and daily crying out to God for a private solution to my private problem so that I could be okay. Mm. To abandon that whole enterprise, to know that I'm okay now, uh, that Christ, uh, uh, his life and his sacrifice, God's love are more than enough. I am, you know, <laughs> Christ, I, I live in a righteousness now that's not my own. And uh, God looks at me with great affection and I don't have to hide a damn thing, mm -hmm. right? Right. And now I can bring all of myself into relationship. And now the connection means something. The fear of uh, rejection is gone. Shame has lost its power. Mm -hmm. And I'm capable of giving and receiving love, which I was not able to do when I was in this desperate, ongoing uh, crusade for uh, you know, self-improvement and moral self-sufficiency. That's a very long uh, preacher, <laughs> preachery answer to a very simple question. Well, so you, I, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of things. I was thinking, I guess the first thing is just how many of us are taught performance-based Christianity? Oh, I think it's just, it's implicit. It's endemic. Yeah. It's It's just woven into the fabric of church life. I'm going to be talking next week in a webinar to a few, couple hundred pastors yeah, about how to talk about uh, porn and sex addiction from the pulpit. And yeah. I really think that we find a hundred ways to just put a pharisaical tinge onto the message whenever we talk, to shame the sexually broken. And sometimes mm. it's not by what we say but by what we don't say, our careful avoidance of the topic okay. sends a very loud message. And the message, so, you know, here's a, here, here's a sobering statistic. According to the most recent uh, survey on the subject done by the Barna Group, 67% of men in evangelical churches have looked at porn within the last 30 days. 67%. percent mm -hmm. Uh, okay. Now, if we can't talk about that, if we can't accept the fact that we are all under a daily sexual assault that's cultural, mm -hmm. uh, then our Christian guys who have, in a moment of weakness and, and, and isolation, have folded, have tasted it. Now they're fighting this secret battle against it. It's a losing battle. Mm -hmm. Those guys are being pushed to the end of the pew, to the margins of the church. It just takes your feet out from under you because you feel like you're fake. If you can't talk about it at church, if you can't admit it, now I've got to bring a false self to church. Right. Now, maybe it will be a very involved self, a false self that works hard, that tries to compensate, that now I start to, to climb the ladder of responsibility and respectability in church mm -hmm. all the time, knowing that I've got this ticking time bomb behind me that if anybody ever finds out, I'm going to be ostracized and the church is going to be caught in the explosion. That's going to be ugly. Mm -hmm. Some, some guys do that. Most of us just go silent. 
And so the church is being crippled. And, mm -hmm. and the truth is that the gospel is the answer. If we would be courageous enough to say, God doesn't hate you because you are sinning sexually. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if, right. right? If you are, if you really are repentant, Jesus came to announce liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. Uh, there is freedom to be found in the gospel. Come, let us introduce you to a loving father and to a loving healing community where we can talk about anything and you can get free. Mm -hmm. Man, that is, this, we're missing a huge evangelistic and discipling opportunity. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, because this isn't just for Christian pastors. I mean, this is all men in yeah. all, all walks of life. And, you know, some of my, I think, most proud connections or moments are with guys that I meet in recovery that have no connection with church. And I have this great friendship with them. And you do see God at work in people's lives that don't go to church or haven't gone to church or have a lot of trauma regarding church. And then you see their spiritual life start to grow in yeah. ways that actually is probably healthier than even my performance-based stuff that I had growing up. Um, and I like that you also um, earlier said, you know, Jesus was very compassionate towards the sexual broken. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. Know if I've ever heard that before, and it's right. I mean, it's it's pretty clear in the Bible. Yes, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's exactly. a strong message that right, right. we could be saying more. I think I'm going to steal that. So, oh, um, right. please. I mean, that's and that was yeah. the scandal. That was the scandal. That he hung out, you know, the charge brought against him was that he hung out with, you know, with, um, with sinners. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll tell you what, 12-step recovery, even though, you know, I, I got sexually sober in SA, where they are, um, and one of the things that really bothered me because I came in as a Christian, although my faith was at that point moribund. It was, it was on life support. Um, at the same time, these guys, you weren't allowed to be, to, to preach in a 12-step meeting. Right. Uh, you weren't, people looked at you funny if you said the name of Jesus. They, you, they didn't want you to quote the Bible. Right. We would talk generically about a higher power. And I knew that my higher power could beat up their higher power, right? So <laughs> I just, I was there to convert everybody to Christianity, because which was stupid. Because they had a faith <laughs> that was working, and I had one that wasn't, right? Um, yeah. Now for a quick commercial break. Yeah, yeah. But it's amazing how as, um, you know, I began to learn some humility and experience some empathy. There was mm -hmm. empathy in those rooms that I never yes. felt in the church. Yes. Um, and it, it started to dawn on me that they didn't want to meet my church persona. They wanted to meet me. Yeah. Um, and that um, I would, whenever I told the truth, they would move close to me. Uh, and when I lied, they wouldn't kick me out or leave me. They would just wait for me to get 
tired enough of the lies that I would come back and tell the truth, right? Yeah. That pumped oxygen. I'll tell you what, that changed everything for me. It changed the Bible for me. Uh, the Bible became uh, – uh, when I began to read it from that perspective instead of the one I had – the moralistic perspective that I had been raised in growing up in the holiness tradition of the church, um, it became a different book. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, when I resumed my praying, I was praying in a different way to a God who was a whole lot different. So empathy was the big difference? Is oh, that, yeah. That was the big – They mediated empathy to me. Yeah. I, I, you know, the first time that I, uh, you know, my first slip after ending recovery. So I climbed back. I, I, I did what I'd always done. You know, I turned over a new leaf and I really hadn't changed anything, hadn't done any of the steps, hadn't really looked at myself. But now I, you know, I really, okay, I have found the guys who have, who, who have the secret information and they know they've found the secret bullet. And now I'm going to be able to conquer this thing. Mm. Um, and so I had what the a, the drunks in AA call the pink cloud experience, where this brief period of abstinence that I mistook for sobriety, right? Mm. So then when life and all its difficulty rushed back in and under the stresses, the fear that it engendered, I went back and had to, to my old familiar medication. Mm. I had my first slip and panicked, right? Um, when I finally got around to telling my sponsor about it, and I waited a suitable length of time, you know, three days, so I get my feet back under me so I could safely talk about my slip in the past tense, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. And even yep. then, it was terrifying to tell him. I downplayed it. I, I yep. prefaced it. I set it up, and then I let him know that I'd learned from it and, you know. And, and then I braced myself and waited for the punch. Mm-hmm. You know, I waited for the lecture. I waited, mm-hmm. and it never came. Right. That was unbelievable. What he can't, what he what he responded with was empathy. Geez, I'm sorry. That must have sucked. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry you had to go through that. I'm sorry uh, you weren't able to call me, but I understand. Uh, now let's talk it through. Right. Wow. Yeah, it is a lot. It's a lot different. It's a lot different because it's just people journeying with each other. To be met with kindness. Yeah. That never excused, but it didn't excuse the, it didn't excuse the sin ever, but excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it allowed, you know, when you have a good sponsor or a good, well, just a good friend, they let you be yourself yeah, and your real self. And I know you've talked a little bit and a, well, a lot over your time of like the real self versus the false self or yeah. the shadow, you know, acknowledging yeah. you're, you're facing your shadow, I think is, is Patrick Carnes sure. um, work for it. But how, like, how can we teach that? Um, how can we get more empathy in the, in the churches i think we have to show it i think words are yeah. empty right empty. we're okay. really yeah. the church is really good at the rhetoric of grace mm-hmm. one of the most ironic things that i've noticed is that all too often if a church has the word grace in its uh name <laughs> it's, 
it's a signal that it's probably a pretty legalistic church. <laughs> wow. I, I don't know. I don't know why that's true, but it tends to be. But we do this. But we have this dodge. We're really good at talking about grace and singing about grace, and we all know Amazing Grace, and we, mm -hmm. you know, it's our favorite hymn. But sure. the message is that you have all the grace you need until you need it. Um, because, you know, God's patience runs out. And what God really wants from you more than anything else is for you to behave. That's yeah. the point. I know. Yeah. That it's all about being good. And yeah. we do not believe that, as Jesus said, as Jesus responded to the, to the rich young ruler, you know, when the rich young ruler came to him and said, good teacher, what must, what, what must I do to find eternal life? Jesus focused in, not on his question, but on how he'd phrased it. Jesus said, wait a minute, did you just call me good? Why did you call me good? Only God is good. Mm -hmm. Then he went and asked the guy a series of questions, and by his answers, the guy revealed that he really thought he was good, and he thought that being good was the point, uh. which is what I thought growing up in church. That's our conditioning, that what God really wants is for us to be good. When the Bible says, really, only God is good. Right. And God is so good that compared to his goodness, the best of our righteousness is like filthy rags. Mm -hmm. That's why Jesus came, to give to us, to cover us, to give us a righteousness not our own. Far better than – it's when we think we are being good that we are at greatest risk of crucifying against, again, the Son of God. It was the good people. It was the well-behaved people mm -hmm. who opposed Jesus and eventually campaigned to have him put to death. Now, that's not a case for being bad. Right. But, it, but it's a case for accepting our brokenness and trusting always in the goodness of God. So, yeah, with, with that, trusting in the goodness of God – and then through comparison, okay, only God is good in, in comparison, you know, yeah. we're filthy rags. I'm I'm wondering for, for somebody that's like deep in shame, yeah, how they're how they're gonna hear that and how yeah. can you know Yeah. Here's the thing. <laughs> uh while we were yet sinners, God uh Christ died for us. Yeah. Right? That God right. that God loves a mess. Right. Okay. Yeah. Shame says, if, if you see me, it's not that I've done wrong. It's that I am wrong. If you mm. see the real me, you will run. Right. That's, yeah. that's our instinctive response in the, in the biblical story in Genesis, that was Adam and Eve's response when they contravened God's law and, you know, sinned for the first time. Their instinctive response was shame. I've got to hide. I've got to yep. cover up. They hide. Right. They cover up from each other, and they hide from God. Right. Right? Right. Nakedness. We fear nakedness. We fear being seen. That's the, Which is why, to me, it's so symbolically powerful that Jesus chose a death that was not only extremely painful, bloody, that, that's the, that we focus on the pain of the cross uh, yeah. at, at the time of Easter, but he actually chose a death in which the shame was greater than the pain. Mm. In that culture, he yeah. was stripped naked, paraded naked through the city, 
taken to a hill outside the city, hoisted high in the air, spread mm -hmm. eagle, facing the city naked because he was dying for our shame. And mm -hmm. the message is we don't have to hide our nakedness. Mm. So um, there's a lot of power in confronting shame, I think, publicly too. Like, I yes! know I grew up in a church where, like, going forward was was you know like kind of like an altar call we didn't call it that but like going yeah, forward, yeah. you know and i think the idea behind that is like a very i think the root of that is probably a good cause you know we've kind of i feel like it's morphed into kind of like a show yeah but yeah. but i do i think uh the intent is hey we're gonna be public we're gonna be authentic and we're still gonna like love on you and care for you and yeah. I think it kind of turned into like a, a guilt thing, but, um, yeah, but yeah, I think there is a lot of power. I'd never thought about Jesus kind of combating the shame, yeah. um, in a very yeah. public way. Yeah. He That's really true. pushed back against it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's tragic that we, we actually think that shame is some kind of prophylactic against sin or it's some kind of preventive or it's a treatment that we can really shame people out of shameful and shame-based behavior and it does not work there is no bottom to the shame spiral i found wow. in my own experience that i could not hate my sin or hate myself enough to stop only the love of god the unconditional love of god is capable of giving me a floor something to push off from that's something firm that i can rest on mm -hmm. and i would say just to add to that it's the love of god but uh it's the love of god through people mediated exactly. yeah because because i think there are people it's like oh i only need god i don't yeah and it's like i don't know i mean may i guess maybe that could work but i feel like for me, it was really important to have those people loving on me the, exactly. way, the, way, the way God um, truly does. I think that's that the power of empathy, and that's what turned it around for me when I finally got in rooms that were safe enough for me to bring my real self. So I can say, I can admit the ugliest thing. And um, the unconditional acceptance of God, I experience it. I experience Christ through the body of Christ, and my brothers move toward me. Mm -hmm. with comfort and help and assistance and, 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 and reassurance. Yeah, so uh, the Samson Society is not yeah. a 12-step group, but okay. it carries the spirit of 12-step recovery, mm -hmm. and it's intended to be that safe place. It's, it's a, we are explicitly Christian. Yeah. So, so our meetings will, uh, our meetings are an hour long, just like a typical 12 step meeting. They okay. follow a script, just like a typical 12 step meeting. Anybody who can read can lead a meeting. They're run by volunteers. You know, there's, they're free. Yeah. Um, uh, and we have a confession of faith that we read at every meeting. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and we, you know, we, we open with the reading the 23rd Psalm and we close uh, by reciting the Lord's prayer. So mm -hmm. it is explicitly Christian. It's a place where I can integrate my faith with my recovery. But the most yeah. powerful part of it is that, you know, I'm going to have time. It's not a lesson. There's no mm -hmm. sermon. Mm -hmm. The heart of the meeting is sharing time where I'm giving, I'm given time and space to speak honestly out of my own experience. And it does, and I can say anything. Mm -hmm. And nobody is going to interrupt me. 
correct me, uh, you know, question me. Uh, all they're going to do is something that Christians are not generally known for is listen to me. And right. by the fact that they stay, they are going to mediate to me the unconditional love of God. Mm. And, and we're going to experience this dynamic that is promised in Scripture that when we confess our sins one to another, we are healed. Mm-hmm. That healing comes. Uh, not instantaneously. It comes the way, the same way a broken bone mends, the same way a cut closes. It comes progressively, which is miraculous. Wow. But it requires patience. That is how healing happens in the body of Christ. Mm. So, uh, and I, I think the assumption is that whenever we get together, everybody should have something to confess. Right? The day yeah. I... The day I can't, the day I can't see my own sin is the day I'm in trouble. Mm-hmm. If I think that because I haven't looked at pornography, haven't hired a hooker, haven't masturbated, whatever, or you know, haven't had a drink or haven't used or whatever, that I'm not, that I don't have anything to confess today, that's the day I'm really at risk of becoming a Pharisee, because mm-hmm. I sin against love. I sin against myself a thousand times a day. Mm-hmm. Now I can I can confess with a smile. I can admit my missing the mark without going to shame and self-hatred. I can talk about my brokenness freely in a repentant spirit every day. Mm-hmm. And when I stay in that humble place, now I'm no longer in danger of thinking that I'm better than anybody else which means I can actually be a force for redemption and healing and help. I become, here's what I have found. I become freaking magnetic when I walk out, when I walk into a room. People are attracted to, not to the bright and shiny and the perfect. I mean, mm-hmm. there is kind of this momentary dazzling effect, but nobody wants to get too close to that. Right. People move in when I am vulnerable. Mm, right right yeah. it's the power right. of vulnerability right and they show their real selves which makes real relationship possible now i can connect and that's what i need yeah the opposite of addiction as johan hari johan hari says so eloquently is not sobriety it's a connection that's mm. what i need right by the way right best book right now uh out there in my the the one i'm advising all my friends to pick up okay uh, is johan hari's book lost connections not a christian book but it'll rock your world lost connections okay yeah Yeah. one of the one of the things like i think vulnerability kind of break yeah it kind of breaks down walls where people don't once they see somebody being vulnerable, then it breaks down this wall where you can actually be your true self in front of somebody else. And you might yeah. not, you might not show it all the time, but at least yeah. there's a chance. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I just, yeah, the power of vulnerability, lost connections. I'll have to check that out yeah. too. Yeah. Um, one of the other things I like to, um, to ask people on my podcast is, what uh a couple other questions but one of them is what brings um levity 
to your life. So, cause a lot, you know, you do a lot yeah. of serious work, Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. but yeah. you seem to um, also do things with a smile and with joy. So what's the, what's the levity for you? You know, one of the things that I've, I have learned to find, this is one of the most powerful ways, if you believe as I do, that there is actually a malign spiritual force in this world that opposes the believers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the best ways to push back against that constant voice of condemnation is to laugh at our own stupidity. Okay. Okay. And um, it's really very entertaining when you look at it from that point of view. I mean, really just how stupid I can be. <laughs> okay. And that's the, kind of the best way to push back against it is to laugh against the temptation, whether I fall for it or not. If I fall for the temptation, I can laugh at my own stupidity. If I'm kind of on my game and I'm, you know, talking, if I'm, if I'm living in a real-time relationship with my brothers, I'm not always just reporting on how well I did last week. That's, mm-hmm. that's a scary place for me to be. Yeah. Where I try to live on my own for seven days and report once a week, eh, that whole arrangement is built on the assumption that I can hold my shit together for a whole week. Yeah. And if, uh, if uh, you know, experience is any guide, I have shown quite convincingly that I'm not capable of doing that. Um, but I, so I can, if, but if I'm living day by day, if I'm having daily, sometimes hourly conversations with my brothers and we're being honest, I can actually laugh at the temptation without actually having to give in to, to doing it, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes the thing I'm tempted to do, I mean, it's just stupid and it's funny if you think about it. Okay. So, yeah, so I, I, the greatest source of entertainment for me right now, I mean, I used to laugh a lot at other people, and now I find I laugh mostly at myself or the things okay. that I am, the crazy things that can make sense to me mm. in the moment. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's good. That's good. So what, So my next question was, what makes you laugh? So you kind of already answered that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I like that you, you know, to be able to laugh at your own stupidity brings yeah. you a lot of entertainment more than, yeah. you know, yeah. laughing at other people, which right. may or may not be, you know, a good <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just, I just find, you know, with, with my work, like that I've done like hospital chaplaincy and now working at the shelter with men, there's a lot of like pain and trauma. Yeah. And so I just feel like it's so important to find levity Oh, that's why I, one of the reasons yeah. I love going to I, I go to AA meetings when I can. Yeah, I'm not an alcoholic, although I did quit drinking. But um, yeah, recently. Um, but one of the things I love about AA meetings is, I mean, a good solid AA meeting with a lot of old timers. Yeah, there is so much laughter in that room. Hmm. Okay. So much yeah. laughter in that room. So right? what is? Yeah. What's that about? What do you think? If, well, I mean, first of all, it's the joy of being together. Okay. And, okay. Yeah. And then we laugh together at our collective idiocy mm-hmm. and the folly, just the foolishness of what we have done and what we are tempted to do. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's a joyous place to be. Yeah. And that is something for people that don't go to meetings, never have gone to meetings. You know, I would just encourage you to check some out. I mean, they're yeah. always going on. Yeah, Unless yeah. you're in a really, really small 
town, I I guess there might not be meetings, but for the most part, they're uh, yeah, it's, all it's, over the place. It's so. hard to find a place where you can at least get to an AA meeting. Yeah, and I've right. and I've been going to AA meetings for years. And by the way, because I'm not an alcoholic, I guess I could speak up now since I quit drinking. But I mean, yeah. for twenty for twenty years, uh, they'd say the only requirement for membership is it is a desire to stop drinking. And right. until recently, I didn't have that desire. Mm-hmm. So I, I, but I still go to the meeting. That's just not say anything. Just listen, sit there and listen to drunks talk sense to each other and enjoy each other. And you know, yeah. And I found it so extremely helpful because when an alcoholic says, "One drink is too many, and a thousand's not enough," I know exactly what he's talking about. Right. Right. It's just for me, yeah. a drink is something different. Right. Yeah, yeah that's good. But I don't. There's so many like of these phrases yeah AA meetings that I don't know but that's yeah, yeah, another, yeah. that's another really good one but yeah. um here's another one I like okay it doesn't matter how far down it, what is it no matter how far down the road of recovery I go I'm always the same distance from the ditch yeah I've heard something like that yeah 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 there there there's like this collective wisdom and yeah. you know one of the things I just thought about this when so I'm, you know, we, we're like, my wife and I, like we have young kids. We're only been married a couple of years. We're, you know, in our thirties. So we love like going to churches with, you know, with people our age or like sure. the sermon or the music or whatever. It's, it's kind of like around our time. Yeah. And I do think I grew up at a small church and you miss out on like older members of church or younger members of church. Whereas at an AA meeting, like you really do have a wide range of ages that maybe we don't even see in churches sometimes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And how powerful that is to, you know, meet somebody in their eighties, you know, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. There's just so much collective wisdom that, you know, if I'm just going to church with, you know, 30 year olds, I just, it's not there. So one of the things I like about Samson too, at least in our group, we've got, we've got, guys in their early 20s yeah our oldest member just died uh well gosh time is flying i guess it's been a couple years now since ed died but he was 85 when he walked in the door for the first time wow yeah 85 yeah saying i thought i would outgrow this thing and i don't know if that's encouraging or whatever but that's but that i bet he really enjoyed oh he loved it man I bet he really. I bet he appreciated it better than. than he you felt did, like he. He felt like his life started when he got to Samson. Yeah, it's yeah. like you feel like you've won the lottery when you find a good friend. Right. Yeah. Um, well, it's really fun talking to you. Hey, I've I've enjoyed. I, re- it. I really. Um, we have this this baseball connection too. Okay. So who's your Who's your team? Well, you know, I'm a homer. The only. You know, I grew up listening to the Yankees because I grew up in New York State. Uh, yeah. but I lived 16 years in South Florida, and I was there when the Florida Marlins uh, launched uh, during expansion. I was there the very first game, and we had season tickets. So even I live now in Nashville, which does not have a Major League Baseball team. Mm. So uh, I still am a fan of the Marlins. Uh, they're suffering through some <laughs> terrible, terrible <laughs> seasons right now. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't, uh, the life has gotten so busy. The yeah. society is really starting to go. Ever since we went to online meetings, which we did a couple of years ago, uh, okay. 
the fellowship is now rapidly becoming global. So I don't have to, I don't have time to f to follow day to day how sure. my team is doing, but uh, yeah, well, I call that's... myself a Marlins fan. Got it, got it. So yeah, maybe I guess also to close, just the the Samson it's SamsonSociety.com. Yeah, yeah, right? or yeah, or .org will get you there too. I think, maybe even oh, okay. that, I'm sure, but try .com. Yeah, and then the talk about the online meetings, how those yeah how yeah those they're fan they're fantastic. We use Zoom, the same platform. Oh, that we're using right now. Yeah. One of the nice things about Zoom is that if you got a bunch of guys in a meeting, when it comes to time for sharing, the host can blow everybody out into breakout rooms, so that you're in a room, a virtual room, with right. you know five or six other guys, which gives everybody a chance to speak during sharing. Right. Uh, and we've got guys. I was in a meeting last week where you know there were a bunch of us from the U.S., a couple guys from Canada, and then we had one guy in Jerusalem. He was walking wow. around the streets of Jerusalem <laughs> you could, while, while sharing in the meeting. It was just amazing. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and then guys are uh, connecting between the meetings. They're forming what we call a Silas relationship. In Samson, you get a Silas rather than a sponsor. But those are becoming very good, tight friendships. And then guys are kind of walking the path to recovery together. That's really uh, cool. Uh, connecting between the meetings using Slack. It's beautiful. Uh, it's wonderful to see, you know, we're redeeming a technology yeah, that, right. that, did, that did a lot of damage to a lot of us. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I was skeptical in the beginning. I, I Guys pushed for online meetings long before I was willing to go there because mm -hmm. I know that recovery requires relationship. Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand that real relationship can form outside a shared, shared physical space. I now see when I, we do a fall retreat, a big retreat where guys come together. And to me, the big, the, my favorite part of the fall retreat is watching guys hug their best friend for the first time. <laughs> wow. You know, you know, guys who've been walking together for months or sometimes a couple of years will, you know, me, but here's what I've noticed. Those guys are so tight. They know each other so well. And it's, you know, it's, it's been life-changing for them. That's so awesome. I've now become, uh, I've gone from being a skeptic to being very much a fan of the online meetings. And I think that's where a lot of the future lies. So, uh, right. Yeah. Use it. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of using technology in a really positive way. That's awesome. And are yeah. those every day? Yeah. Our meetings? goal, our goal is to have at least one meeting every hour of every day. Oh, Okay. Now, we're still a long way from that, but we're running about 40 meetings a, a, a week. So they're meetings every day. Okay. These are especially good. We're finding we're getting a lot of pastors uh, and missionaries in the meetings. Uh, pastors would, you know, maybe there's even a local meeting in their church or in their town, but it would just be too freaking dangerous for them to go. Mm. Even though we place a high value on confidentiality, they, they have this risk that or at least a fear of being exposed and perhaps sure. in their church culture, that would be uh, curtains. Thanks for listening to this show today, everybody. I just want to give a few shout outs. Today's music, the one and only Josh Cleveland. Today's artwork and all the winter faith artwork and digital design, Dominique Montaigne. 
The intro was done by Scarlet Fox, and I am just grateful to be creating and editing this podcast. My name is Andy Frazier. Find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Winter Faith Podcast. Subscribe subscribe on all those platforms, and also we are on Patreon if you would like to support the show, and also leave a review on iTunes at The Winter Faith Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.